you are listening to the Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving Hello and welcome and collaboration. to the latest Passionate episode about of Unleashing Careers. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations and let's together make the remarkable now, happen. Now have you ever wondered who you may actually unconsciously be ignoring at work? What about the conversations that you may actually not be listening to? And have you ever got curious about where those ideas could be that potentially you might have missed or overlooked? Oscar Tumboli, who is my latest guest on this podcast, believes that if we can all master the art of deep listening, then we could probably make sure that we notice more people, we hear and understand more conversations, and perhaps we will find the answers to the questions that we're looking for. Oscar is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. He is an author, host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and a sought-after keynote speaker. He's passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in homes, workplaces, and the world. Through his work with chairs, boards and directors and executive teams across every single size and shape of organization, he has experienced firsthand the transformational impact leaders and organizations can have when they listen beyond the the words. I keep getting myself stumbled over that, beyond the words. He consults to organizations including Cisco, uh, Google, HSBC, News Corp, Qantas, TripAdvisor, among so many others helping executives and their teams listen to what's unsaid by the customers and employees. Um, So check out his listeningquiz.com to see how well you're doing after you've listened to this podcast, of course. And please ensure to enjoy this conversation and make sure you listen carefully as there are lots and lots of awesome takeaways that you too can put into practice to enhance your listening skills and unlock your inner brilliance. Please enjoy this latest episode from the fabulous Oscar Trimboli. Oscar, Oscar, it's so fabulous to have you on my podcast finally. How are you doing? G'day, Janine. I'm flip-flopping between freaked out and figuring it out right now, probably like everybody else. (laughs) Along with the rest of the world, what crazy, crazy times we are in, which is part of the reason I wanted to uh, invite you as a guest on this podcast because everything that you talk about and your expertise in terms of the power of listening to unlock brilliance I think is is needed more than ever in these times of isolation and when we're we're trying to connect virtually and and find the answers to move forward but before we get there let's let's just have a little bit of a, a dig into you um so so can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up yeah I wanted to be a rescue helicopter pilot for the New South Wales Police Service and what was it about that that, that inspired you? Uh, I, I was the pilot, not the person jumping out of the, uh, not the person jumping out of the helicopter. I love the freedom of helicopters. I love the fact it wasn't a plane. You could pick up and land from anywhere else. Um, you could help people. That's probably a theme for the rest of my life. And uh, yeah, I went out to Bankstown Airport where the um, Belljet Ranger, if you want to nerd out on uh, ad geek stuff. 
um, was housed and they allowed me to take photos at the age of 15 and that was pinned up on my wall at home and that was my goal board at the time. Uh, little did I know you had to be really good at maths to be able to be a helicopter pilot, which I have dyscalculus when it comes to numbers, which means I transpose them, which means I'm rubbish at maths. So my career as a helicopter pilot would never, ever come about. Oh, and how, how, when that, that reality hits, can you remember how you felt? Oh, uh, yeah, it was uh, my, my neighbour, Warren. Uh, he was three years older than me and he was in the local Air Force League. I wasn't part of that. They went on Saturdays and learned about flying and things like that. And he actually got into the Air Force only to, so got very high marks at university. He was really, really studied really hard, only to discover on his entrance medical that he was colorblind, therefore he couldn't be a pilot. So he wanted it much more than me. And as I watched him mourn that process, made it easier for me when I figured out that um, the kind of marks I needed in maths I would never achieve. So it was with Warren, he found out like immediately and it was jolting and jarring for him. Whereas for me, it was a bit more progressive as like, all I knew is the lower the maths mark I got, the further away I was getting from it. So it, it happened slowly. So I was able to mourn and grieve over an extended period of time, I guess, on that one, Jimmy. <laughs> so what did you end up doing as, as a career? Well, ironically, I didn't discover this discalculus till I started in accounting. You know, my dad said, always get a job as an accountant. They'll never be out of work, which is quite funny now with machine learning because one of the biggest competitors to accountants is actually the Australian tax office's ability to generate tax returns automatically for most people. And uh, I went and worked in an accounting firm. I, I was in a organization that specialized in car dealerships and that car dealership did a lot of work in Jaguars and particularly new rolly motors at Rushcutters Bay and I was literally Janine counting spark plugs as an audit clerk and my manager Robert said to me one day he got quite frustrated the spreadsheets we were using were literally A3 sheets of paper with pencil we didn't have computerized spreadsheets in those days and uh, he said I think we've got an issue Oscar and at lunchtime, he read out 20 phone numbers to me. 16 I got right, four I got wrong, but every one of the four I got wrong um, was a transposition error, which meant instead of writing 9861, I wrote 6198 or something like that, which is kind of career limiting when it comes to accounting and thus propelled me into a career installing accounting software in accounting firms and eventually for our clients and led to a career in technology. And so from technology, um, you worked many years with with some of the big players in technology um, to what you're doing now. Can you remember a specific watershed moment that created the shift uh, that we'll go on to explore shortly? Yeah, I, I, I can even remember the smell of the bacon and eggs that were brought into this complex negotiation that was taking place between Singapore, Seattle and Sydney, our regional office. 
and our head office at Microsoft at the time. It was 2012. It was a Tuesday morning because that was Monday night US time. And Singapore was just coming online. It was 11 o'clock and we were negotiating for 90 minutes on a budget set for our business in Australia. And at the 20 minute mark, my vice president looked across the room at me and said, I need to see you after this meeting. And the way Tracy said it, I knew it wasn't good. The only thing going through my head at that time, Janine, was how much money have I got in the bank and how many weeks have I got? Because I'm surely going to get sacked. I've obviously said something wrong. I waited to the end of the meeting. Tracy looked across and said, let's have that chat now. And I said, um, okay, <laughs> and sat down. And the only thing going through my head is, I think I've got about eight weeks salary in the bank. And Tracy said to me something that would change the rest of my life. She said, at the 20 minute mark, you had no idea what you did to the meeting. You completely transformed the way everybody else listened. If you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. It's like, I honestly, Janine, did not process a single word she said. The only thing that was going through my head is, yes, I haven't got sacked. That was the only thing that was going through my head. And in that moment, all I could say back to her was, Tracy, do you mean code or code code? She said, no, code. So what she meant by that was literally write what I know into software to show people how to listen. And, and that was kind of the moment where a whole bunch of new doorways opened up to me discovering and coding how I listened because only three weeks later, the chief operating officer and chief financial controller of the Australian business had to have the same discussion with all the other states and outlay the budgets that we'd received to others. And Brian, the chief financial officer, said, I need you to come to this next budget setting meeting and I need you to mark me, assess me on how I listen. I said, Brian, I've got to go and figure out how to sell this budget. You know, I just got an increase. I think the office division I was running there was about a billion US dollars at the time. I said, I've got to figure out how to do my job. I haven't got time to do your stuff too. And he said, no, seriously, it's probably one of the most important things I can learn from you right now. And so for the next 90 minutes, I had to sit in a room and actually code what Brian was doing right and wrong and I had to get out of my head, how do I actually listen? And that's how the journey started. And where do you think you learnt to listen so differently? Where Where is the root of this skill that you have? Have you been able to track back to that? Uh, look, I think we make up these stories in, in arrears. Here's my guess at the story. Um, if you if you met me when I was 14 years old, I had a jaw like a werewolf. My jaw was very protruded um, and I had braces for five years, which most people have braces for about two years, but I basically had a, a jaw that was very deformed and I didn't want to attract any attention at family functions or sporting functions or all of that. And so I got really good at listening because when you listen, you don't have to talk and nobody pays attention to you or you can deflect attention really easily with a question. And I think that was the first time I would notice that it was being using listening as a way to protect myself because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I think that's one of the ways I learned how to listen. 
And the opposite is true too. At school, we played this Italian card game called Briscola. Don't tell the teachers, we probably played in class as well as in the breaks. And uh, you played in teams of two, but all the other teams, we had a school of 23 different nationalities. All the other teams spoke their home language and I was the pickup player. If you were a shorter player, I'd play on your team. But what I learned to do really well because I couldn't understand what they were saying was listening to their body language and their face always gave away the cards. But they were so cocky and confident speaking in their home language, they didn't realise the way their eyes were lighting up, the way their hands were on the cards, the way they were tilting their head when they had a good card versus a bad card. I was coding all of that at a very young age. Oh, so we need to get you on our poker team. You and I, that's how we're going to get through COVID-19. We'll go and find <laughs> Except I can't count cards. <laughs> so some people could be listening to this and go, you know, yeah, yeah, but I've, I'm described as, I'm not sure if it's my listening or I'm shy or I'm an introvert. Um, you know, part of that, that ability to just listening could also have a description around introversion or being shy or just not being courageous enough to actually speak. And yet it's it's more than that, isn't it, what you do? Yeah, there's no academic correlation between extroversion and introversion in terms of your listening capabilities or your listening potential for that matter. So a lot, of, a lot of us need to be careful. Labels are useful until they're not. And I think sometimes the extrovert, omnivert, introvert kind of labels can be misguided because in a, in a group of actors, I'm an introvert, but in a group of actuaries, I'm an extrovert. So those labels are also relative. So I think for a lot of us, we know what plus minus divide subtract is when it comes to maths and we use maths about 20% of our day at best. Yet we use listening, minimum 50%. The more senior you are in an organisation, the more you're going to listen. The most senior executives and chairs, they're going to be listening 80% of their day, four out of five days is literally them just listening. And yet none of them know the most basic things about listening. And if there's a one thing I would love to leave the world is this simple knowing that you speak at 125 words a minute, but you think at 900. So the likelihood the first thing that comes out of your mouth is what you mean. There's only an 11% chance that's true. So most of us have conversations with people talking about 11% of the potential of the conversation, 11% of the possible problem in a conversation. 11% of the potential possibilities in a conversation. And yet we wouldn't go to a casino that only gave us 11% odds, but every conversation we have, every conversation that's about conflict, every conversation that's about confusion, every conversation about a staff member that left that didn't want to leave, every customer you never won because they went to a competitor, it's all because you skated across the top and only listened to that 11%. And, and when, when people say to me, wow, if, now that I know this rule, um, the world opens up to me. We, we, we listen, most of us listen in black and white. And when you understand this rule, the 125-900 rule, you can start to listen in multi-dimensional colours. And that, that becomes really powerful, rich conversations that have impacts beyond words. So what I love about your work, Oscar, is in this, you know, in the context of this podcast, which is all around 
unleashing brilliance and and how individuals can take ownership of that never-ending journey of becoming the best version of ourselves to from the work I've seen you do listening is such a critical part of this but I'd love to hear from your perspective and I'm listening really carefully why why in your mind is is listening such you know it's not a nebulous um, skill to have it's actually one of the most critical skills that we can all get better at practice at improve master to help us um, improve our own ability to to become that brilliant version of ourselves. Yeah, if you go to December 30, 2019, Dr. Lai in Wuhan, China, sent a message to six of his friends on a WeChat group explaining that he was really, really worried about some of his elderly patients who were showing SARS-like symptoms and have very bad respiratory results. And as a result, he just lost a patient. Four days later, the Chinese authorities had got wind of this message he sent and they wanted him to recount what he said and say what he said was false. And we lost four weeks in fighting corona because the Chinese authorities wouldn't listen to a doctor who knew exactly what was going on. And the cost of not listening for us can be as big as a global pandemic, or it can be the relationships we do or don't enjoy at home with our children, with our partners, with our parents, and in our workplaces that creates chaos and confusion and conflict. And in the example of Dr. Lai, who unfortunately in February passed away from corona himself in trying to help other patients, the lesson is this. Who are you ignoring in your workplace? What are the conversations that you're not paying attention to? Because somebody has a different professional background. They might have a different cultural background. They might have a different educational background. In 2008, Five in August in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Dr. Rajan presented a paper why the global financial services industry was like a sewage pipeline that was blocked up and about to explode. And he got castigated by all the central bankers of the world and told why he was wrong. And the consequence of that in three years later, and the fact he was ignored, even though he predicted the global financial crisis three years earlier, because he wasn't classically trained as an economist, he was an engineer, he was Indian, he was a vegetarian, he was a little bit different for that room. But all of us ignore opinions of others. So Janine, the one tip I'd give everybody, if you want to improve your listening, watch a TV show, read a book or a newspaper or a blog or a website or, or anybody's opinion you fiercely disagree with and you'll quickly learn what gets in the way for all of us and what listening's costing us when we don't show up and listen fully to what's said and more importantly what's not said. Wow there's so many awesome stories evidence and making it so relevant today you know you just um with what we're all experiencing with the current pandemic you could almost argue that we have a a pandemic happening of people not listening which is feeding um all of the other uh, elements of, of um, that we're seeing in the world right now. So how are people listening into this that are probably 
going through that same thought process themselves, having heard you share those two very relevant um, stories that have impacted everybody. Um, how, how do people get better at listening? And are there different types and different styles of listening? You know, you talked earlier about Tracy challenging you to codify how people can listen better. And then you shared the story of that colleague that asked you to almost audit him on his level of listening. Um, so my question really is, one, one, how do you do that? How do you work out how good or bad you are or where the opportunity is? And then what can you do to practice more effective listening skills? So if you visit listeningquiz.com, you can take a very quick seven-minute assessment to understand who your listening villains are, what are the barriers that are getting in your way of listening. That's been informed by a research database of 1,410 people that we're tracking about how well they're listening over the last three years. For a lot of us, we start by thinking that listening is about focusing on the speaker. And that's like driving a car without putting your seatbelt on. The first place you need to start to listen is actually to you. Before you turn up to a conversation, most of us need to empty the radio station playing in our own head. Most of us right now have too many browser tabs open in our mind, processing too much about what's happening in the external environment for us to even be present when it comes to listening. 86% of us in our database of listeners, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, say that the biggest thing that gets in the way of their listening is distractions. And those distractions take two forms, internal distractions created by yourself and external distractions typically created by devices like mobile phones, cell phones, laptops, iPads, anything that buzzes, beeps, gets in, in your face. And, and for most of us, if, if we just did three really basic things, Janine, our listening productivity would triple immediately. We would be able to listen three times better. We would get four hours a week back in our schedule because we don't have to revisit conversations. So tip number one, switch off the device. If that sounds like, oh, my God, you just told me to go cold turkey and I'm a heroin addict, then switch your phone into flight mode. And if you can't do that, switch your phone into silent mode, but at least start somewhere where you switch off the notifications on your phone. And the same is true on your laptops and other devices. Tip number two, drink water. A hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain is only 5% of body mass, but it consumes 26% of blood sugars. And the best way to get blood sugars to the brain is to be fully hydrated. But most people in the West, at least, spend most of their day completely dehydrated from about 11 a.m. on because they don't drink enough water. So you should be drinking a glass of water every half an hour, about three, two to three litres of water a day. And somebody said to me, Oscar, if I did that, I'd be visiting the toilet all the time. And I said, at least you'd be aware that you need to go to the toilet because at the moment you're so dehydrated, you just tell me your head hurts. So for a lot of us, if we get headaches in the afternoon, more than likely, it's a fact we're not drinking. Now, listening happens in the most modern part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. Literally, if you touch a forehead immediately below, behind your skull, that's where listening takes place. 
So it's a very complex task because we haven't been taught how to do it. So tip number two, drink water. And tip number three, three deep breaths. And I'm not talking about, you know, a yoga or Pilates deep breath, but something that you're going to bring yourself into a place of consciousness and centeredness to go with three deep breaths. Take five seconds in through your nose, down the back of your throat, all the way down to the bottom of your lungs and then back out again through your mouth. You'll become present. You'll close down the browser tabs in your head and the radio station that you're tuned into will now tune into the frequency of what the speaker is. In the good old days, Janine, when I used to go and visit clients in offices, I used to cross the lobby, switch off my phone, put it in my bag. When I got into the elevator, I took three deep breaths. And when I went to reception and they offered me refreshments, I would drink, ask for a glass of water for me and for the person I'm meeting. Now, these are super, super basic. But everybody in our database who has implemented this, say their listening productivity goes up dramatically by doing the very, very simplest and basic of things. Now, there's five levels of listening, but level one is foundational. We can get into all that fancy pants stuff about level two, three, four, and five at some other time. But for most of us, switch off the devices, drink some water, take a deep breath. Which is all also talks to the fact that so many of us are rushing from one place to the other um yes in the good old days when we were in offices you know people are rushing from one meeting to the next from one zoom call to the next from one phone call to the next from one text message to the next um and i know as as, as somebody that you know spends my life um speaking and training and being in service to other people that concept of getting present, um, I I do I do that getting present, the deep breath before I walk into a room, so that I am like leaving everything else behind. But I hadn't fully appreciated Oscar that that is, those simple techniques, of which they are, are so important to so much of our humanity and our ability to connect, to understand. Uh, to really hear the problem, to understand it so that we can actually respond. And and that is, there's one of that saying, I can't forgive me, I can't remember this, you probably know it better than me, but it's that whole thing, listen to, what is it, listen to understand versus listening to hear? This, the yeah, listen, listen to understand rather than to respond. It's the, yeah. the quote by Dr. Stephen Covey. There, I think, we are all listening role models to somebody and I always talk about capital L leadership. You have a leadership title and the rest of us are all leaders where we're parents who role model listening and all of this. And I'm, I'm reminded 2010, I was hosting Peter who'd flown from Seattle, another one of these Microsoft vice presidents, literally a 24 hour flight from Seattle, San Francisco, Sydney, lands in Sydney on a Tuesday morning. I'm hosting a meeting with 20 CEOs and Peter at uh, nine o'clock in the morning, I introduce him to the room. He's at the front of a very big boardroom at Sheraton on the Park in Sydney. It's a beautiful day outside, there's a big window, and he gets up as soon as I've introduced him as if he's gonna step out the door. And what he does, he takes his cell phone, as he would call it, and he took it out, he switched it off and he put it in his bag, and he sat at the front of the room and said, look, I'm really sorry. The most important thing I can give everybody right now is my complete and undivided attention. I hope you can forgive me. 
And with that, 17 other people switched off their mobile phones. I know there were three because those three phones kept buzzing through the rest of the meeting. But for all of us, if we can role model that to our kids, role model that to our partners, to our parents, to our siblings and in our workplaces, the world will be very different. And so your comment there, the world would be very different. Why, why would it be very different if we could all improve our listening skills? Well, chaos, conflict and confusion would be eliminated dramatically because a lot of us are skating around with a conversation that's really only about 11%. It's not, we have conversations about what we say rather than having conversations about what we mean. And if we have more conversations about what we mean, we get to the core of the really big complex issues much faster. Most of us are having really interesting, delightful, entertaining conversations about superficial issues. And that's what puts the deep into deep listening. It's having that impact beyond the first set of words we hear. I'm curious as to your thoughts of what's happening right now. Um, there is a whole heap of noise around, isn't it wonderful we seem to be connecting, you know, we're working from home and yet we've got more Zoom meetings. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot across social media around people believing and suggesting that connection is getting deeper as a result of the self-isolation that's going on. Um, my curiosity at the moment is really questioning that uh, because I'm not sure. Um, I still think, and this is purely my opinion, I don't have any stats to back it up, but I'm feeling that there is still a significant amount of transactional conversation and listening going on. Um, and um, not necessarily taking the time to really go deeper and to check in on how people are doing. And to me, it's you, when you said, you know, there's a lot of us um, in conversation uh, or listening from a place of saying versus what it is that we actually mean, that curiosity piece. Um, that's what got me thinking about that. What do, what do you think? Do you think that, that what we're all experiencing right now um, that just because of that, our connection, our deep listening will get better? Or do you equally think we've literally just transported one way of connecting into now being at home and doing more of it online? Well, the good thing with having 1,410 people in your database, you can survey them pretty quickly. So I asked them last week, what's the biggest thing getting in your way of listening at the moment on virtual meetings, whether they're conference calls or um, video calls? And again, the biggest responses were distraction, mm -hmm. self-imposed or other. Kids, meaning kids at one end of the video or the other, mm -hmm. and my own mindset. So those are the three things getting in the way. Now, most people are ringing up, having conversations, saying, how are you going? Mm -hmm. And that's going to generate a really generic, superficial, almost reflexive action. Here's three questions we can all practice depending on our relationships. The first question you would ask somebody in a really strong, trusted relationship. And you can try any of these variations on this question. What does sleep mean to you right now? How are you sleeping? 
are you waking up in the middle of the night? So that, that's the first question you want to ask people how they're sleeping. Because at the moment, sleep is a really good indicator of fear, frustration and anxiety. How you're going won't get you the fast track answer to that question, whereas asking them how they're sleeping well. How are you eating is the next question. And this will highlight people who have a propensity to addictive kinds of behaviours. Mm. Why we've got to watch out for that? Um, in Australia, at least, alcohol sales have gone up anywhere between 80 and 200%, depending on the stats you look at at the moment. Now, I don't know if that translates directly into alcohol consumption, but that's, that's a good example of how behaviours have changed as a result of that, so I asked someone I was working with, a client nearly three weeks ago, it was a call at four o'clock in the afternoon, and we got through the sleeping question, and I said to her, how, how's, how's your, how was lunch today? And she said, oh my God, I've got all I've been doing is surviving on espresso coffee. I think I've had four, but I've lost count, and I've demolished four packets of Tim Tams. So, can you imagine their state with so much coffee and chocolate and sugar in them? I, I always talk about if you're if you're an athlete, you'd never do that to your body. And if you're a corporate athlete, with, with who are the people I deal with, I just stopped and said, "Can you do me a favour? Can you go over and go and grab a glass of water, drink it, and then bring another glass of water to the, to the table we were having the conversation." And she said to me, it's the first time I've got up out of my chair since nine o'clock today, and it was four o'clock. So she had an espresso machine right next to her and Tim Tams in the filing cabinet below her. So again, just asking, if I would have asked her a question, how she's going, she probably wouldn't have told me about espressos and Tim Tams, but what does eating mean to you right now? Well, what was the last meal you had? Um, you know, fresh fruit and water is really, really important right now. Um, you know, it's too easy to eat a lot of processed stuff right now. And then the third one is, what does exercise mean for you right now? Now, we, we, we all struggle. And like for me, it's quite funny. Um, when I make tea at the moment, I have to go downstairs. And when the kettle boils, um, I use that as a trigger based on um, James Clear's Atomic Habits. I'm trying to put together two habits together. So the habit, the anchor habit, is boiling a kettle and I'm doing push-ups for as long as that kettle boiled. Now, the first time I did that, I realised there was way too much water in it and <laughs> <laughs> it's taken too long to boil. But I'm now up to 15 push-ups while the water's boiling and, I'm, and um, it, that, that that completely changes my mindset when I go into the next conversation just by doing that basic exercise. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody can do 15 push-ups, but do some kind of exercise every 90 to 120 minutes. So those three things, how you're sleeping, how you're eating, how you're exercising, they're the kinds of questions that are going to help you listen to what people are actually struggling with right now because we just have superficial discussions right now. That's not going to be useful for them and it's not going to be useful for you because all it does is it puts a lid on a pot that's boiling with water and it's just going to explode and bubble over at some point. 
these questions are safety valves for people to make sense of what's going on right now. So those three questions, my clients have definitely found it helpful. My friends have definitely found it helpful. And Janine, I hope it's helpful for you too. Oh, it's really helpful. And it's just reminded me of almost that importance of asking the second, third, fourth question versus skipping past the first to get onto your point of delivery. And before we started this podcast, I was on the phone to a client and, uh, you know, he he so quickly wanted to get onto what the meeting was all about. And just by not necessarily these three questions, but my curiosity as to how he was really doing suddenly the conversation opened up and I got some great insight into the stuff that he is currently challenged with, um, which then enabled me to, to give him some help and some support before we even got on to what the meeting was all about. So they're great, really, mm. really helpful. And, um, and just finally, it just reminded me of a really quick story I was working with somebody two weeks ago and she was a self-proclaimed meeting Nazi she ran all the agendas to time and all of this and she rang me up because she's so frustrated between how the agenda just gone with her team working from home for the first time she rang me up in total frustration and said Oscar we just talked fluff for 15 minutes about coronavirus and we didn't even get to the bit of the agenda that mattered till the 15 minute mark and I said to her, you know what? You missed the most important part of the meeting. Everybody on that call needed to give voice to something that was how they were feeling. Nobody's going to pay attention to your agenda until they think you genuinely care about what they talked about for the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And she literally on the video slapped her forehead and said, I need to go back and apologise. And I said, sure. But she said, no, I need to do it now. And she came back about half an hour later And she said, wow, just that act of acknowledging that I wasn't paying attention because I was a self-proclaimed meeting Nazi wasn't useful for my team. It's taught me a valuable lesson. Mm. So if we could get Tracy onto this podcast right now, what would would you say to her? Tracy would be saying to me, why haven't you built the app yet, Oscar? It's not coded (laughs) into software yet. Yeah, this listening quiz at listeningquiz.com is really interesting. But when are you going to create the app that I can have a listening coach in my team meetings on my Zoom calls so you can coach me without being present? Uh, Tracy, Tracy is probably one of my biggest cheerleaders. She'd be congratulating me. She'd be saying, look, you've done a great job on your quest to 100 million deep listeners in the world and keep going. But she'd be saying, go faster. Go faster, I love it. Go faster, the world needs you. So so on that, um, you know, we often hear conversations and questions about what is next, uh, what what's next for you, what are you planning to do next? My my question is actually more about you. I'm curious, Oscar, what, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for somebody who looked after his family. Mm. Nice. Nice. And I'm imagining it's more important than ever, given what's going on globally right now, that that concept of keeping those you love dearest, closest to you. I think it's always important. I just think the magnifying glass is really tight on the focus right now. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Oscar, it's been an absolute pleasure, joy as always to hear from you. I could listen and listen and listen to your storytelling, words of wisdom and absolute thought leadership in this space of deep listening. Um, I will share in the notes how people can contact you. Um, But if people don't get around to reading those, where's the best place that they can find you? You do some great work with organisations, with executives, um, and your whole passion piece. You are all about improving the ability to listen. on a global scale, you mentioned there, you, you, you skidded over it. You're on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. So if people want to be one of those 100 million, how can they get hold of you? Just visit listeningquiz.com and uh, that'll be the doorway to the books, the playing cards, the jigsaw puzzles, the research, the action plan and the 90-day challenge where you can take the 90-day deep listening challenge and move from a distracted listener to a deep listener in 90 days. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Oscar. Keep doing great work. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.